This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is the New Yorker Radio Hour, a co-production of WNYC Studios and The New Yorker. Welcome to the New Yorker Radio Hour. I'm David Remnick. The upcoming Grammy Awards have got us thinking about music. Next week, we'll have the rapper Chuck D in conversation with our own Kella Fasane. And right now, a pioneer in the genre known as Americana. Now, you couldn't write the history of American music without a solid chapter on Bonnie Raitt. Her body of work is this gorgeous melange of rock, R&B, blues, folk, and country. And she's a hell of a slide guitarist to boot. Rather than resting on her laurels after 50 years in music, Bonnie Raitt is still productive, still making records, and she's never strayed very far from the mainstream of pop music. So, Bonnie, I have to begin by congratulating you on all these Grammy nominations. Four Grammy nominations, Best Americana Album, Best Americana Performance, Best American Roots Song, and Song of the Year. That's pretty amazing. I was pretty surprised, so thank you so much. I'm pretty chuffed, as they say in England, yeah. Bonnie is nominated alongside some of the biggest stars in pop music today, And I wanted to get her take on their music. And we started with Adele. Okay. There ain't no gold in this river That I've been washing my hands in forever Mm. I know there is hope in these waters Get out of here. Oh, my gosh. What do you think, honey? From the, from the first time I heard it, I was just shaking my head, you know, lump in my throat, go get it, girl, because she just, <laughs> when I first heard her, went out of the box, her first hit, I, I've resonated with her. But this was, you know, you always wonder what's going to happen the next record, and this song is, it's a classic. It's one of the best songs I've ever heard, and her vocal just broke my heart. The, the next is Lizzo, About Damn Time. Yay! <laughs> Turn up the music Turn down the lights mm. I've got a feeling I'm gonna be alright Okay, okay. Alright It's about damn time Turn up the music oh. Let's 
we're we're on Zoom and I can see you dancing in your chair. Oh man! <laughs> First of all, I I love her so much. I mean, I, I don't know if you got to see the People's Choice Awards when she took her time accepting her Entertainer of the Year or whatever, <clears throat> and honored seventeen activists of all kinds of different backgrounds and causes. I'm I'm so floored. Um, but not to get off the topic, um, you know, th- this harkens back to an era that I come up when we could still go to clubs and dance around, you know. Uh, and uh, so for me, it's a fantastic retro neo soul and relentlessly grooving. I mean, she's got a great vocal. It's a great track. It's right up there. And now we have some of you may have heard of, I'm not absolutely sure, Beyonce's Break My Soul. Bonnie, Beyonce has been a phenomenon for a very long time now. Um, what do you think of her? Huge fan. She's a, can I say badass? <laughs> you can. I mean, for someone so gorgeous and so classy and and the way that she runs her career and handles the press and handles her fame and, and uh, is so vulnerable and open and yet such a leader. Your paths ever cross? I think I waved to her at the backstage on the Grammys on the way, and I, I I got to give Adele her Grammy, and she, you know, she was so so excited to not to see me, but I'm just saying I was excited to be able to give it to her. But I would love to sit down and get to know those two, and Lizzo too. I'm a big fan. Bonnie, I'm sure you're more than aware, maybe painfully aware, of how the different ways that musical careers start now. I mean, some of them start and burst first on on TikTok and social media. Just to get started on your own career, um, when when you watch that happen, does it feel incredibly alien? How how would you describe your uh, emergence in 1971 when your first album debuted? I know you came from a musical family, obviously. Yeah, but the Broadway music scene that I came out, you know, my folks were in, it was so different than the folk music that I fell in love with. Um, I was not expecting to do this for a living. I had other plans. I was a you know, sophomore in college and happened to be hanging out with a bunch of older blues people that I was so lucky to be introduced to by Dick Waterman, who rediscovered Sun House and managed Mississippi Fred McDowell. So for me, it was just a hobby turned into an absolute passion and an opportunity to open an, for a couple of those bands and clubs and you know make a little pin money on the side. So for me to get offered a record deal at 21 when I wasn't even expecting to have a career in music was is such an anomaly compared to what most people do that really slog away and are planning to be musicians since the time they're 13 or 14. They can't wait to get out there and make records. So I, I don't want to say it fell in my lap, but I think I, uh, of the people I know in the business, I got the greatest uh opportune right place at the right time by being a woman blues guitar player right in that particular time.
you were at Harvard. You were a kid. And were you studying hard or not so much? I loved school. I always have. I don't know why, but I'm not always good at math and science, but I was very excited to be majoring in African studies and studying modern theater. And um, I was a social relations major, which was psychology, anthropology, and sociology. So right in the hotbed hotbed of anti-war movement and the feminist movement. What did you think your life was going to be when you were 18, 19 years old? I wanted to work for the American Friends Service Committee, where my, my uncle had uh, been involved with that organization. We were my folks converted to being Quaker and very much into the peace and justice movements. And the AFSC had branches all around the world and kind of undoing some of the damage that colonialism had done. I thought, and it was kind of a more uh, uh, less government-oriented Peace Corps type thing, and that was my plan. And you were hanging out in the Cambridge club scene. Um, I was a student, and then I, my friend Jack Virtel, who actually runs Jujemson Theaters and was a, became a producer on Broadway, um, he called up, and we were blues hounds, just absolute fanatics, and he, we were listening to the, the Harvard radio station blues show, and Sun House, the father of Delta Blues, was being interviewed and was going to do a concert. And so Jack called me at my dorm and said, I know, the man, I know where the manager lives right around the corner from Mass Ave, and I think we could go meet Sun House, and that's when it all started for me. I went down to the station. I said, I mean up against the door. I was too young to hang out in clubs. You know, you couldn't drink until you were 21. Well, I, I want to know everything Boston. about your meeting with Sun House. That's, that's an amazing thing. Well, it wasn't, because we were just fans, you know, I think I was a freshman. Yeah, I was a freshman at that point, and I don't know how, uh, we, we got to be friends through the disc jockey that did the interview, and we met Dick Waterman and Son House. I mean, I was trembling to, because I, at that point, you know, Robert Johnson's records had been reissued in the mid-60s, and everybody was just, the Newport Folk Festivals had rediscovered uh, broadcast and on labels and recorded all these great Delta Blues people from every different region. So Sun was the pinnacle to me. So I, I don't know if he remembers meeting me, but I later became <laughs> got to be friend, you know, got to be friends with him. He said, "If you're going anywhere, now, son, <laughs> you know you got to, to lay your money down." I'm talking today with Bonnie Ray. More in a moment. WNYC Studios is supported by Lincoln Financial. The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Shouldn't they be asking, what is it that you love to do? And how can we help you keep doing it? The truth is, you're not slowing down. So your retirement plan should be more of an action plan, a hiking plan, a music plan, a sailing plan. The point is, whatever you're passionate about, we can help make sure you never stop. At Lincoln Financial, we have the products to help protect and grow your financial future so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc., copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation. On Radio Lab. First, we thought we'd made some sort of mistake. Two surprisingly simple scientific discoveries. This is crazy. <laughs> I mean, we were just so surprised. That makes us reconsider our assumptions about progress. 
we need to learn the language of the doctors of that time. We need to be a little bit less dismissive. Staff Retreat from Radiolab. I learned a bit of humility this way. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Now, I remember when when I was a kid, there was a record from Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee, a great, great blues duo. And one of their funnier songs was White Boy, Lost in the Blues. You bought your six-train Gibson. You bought your great big ham. You cried and sang like muddy water. And play like lightning sound. But since I blowed my heart, you feeling mean and confused. It got you chained to your hair bomb, you just a white ball off and the blue. How amenable were older black musicians? to uh, a young white woman wanting to be, not, not just being a fan of the music, but wanting to be a part of that scene, wanting to learn that music? Um, I, would, I don't know how, it didn't occur to me to ask Muddy or any of those guys what those interviewers are always asking them, what do you think about Mike Bloomfield and Eric Clapton? You know, mm-hmm. I, I just know that from my experience, they were, the people I knew, John Lee Hooker and Fred McDowell and Big Boy Arthur Crudup and and uh, Big Mama Thornton, they were thrilled to get the accolades and the acknowledgement and the recognition and the and get paid, and have this incredible bloom in their midlife of the resurgence of, of blast off appreciation in the mainstream culture. And I think the fact that um, we were those of us that just happened to study from records and learn and learn how to play. You know, when I first played for Fred McDowell, he, I played some Robert Johnson for him, Tommy Johnson, and I played some of his songs. He was tickled, you know. He said, how did you learn that? I said, <laughs> man, I just listened to records and taught myself. And then, you know, I, I know that Muddy and B.B. loved to listen to Eric Clapton. I mean, they loved Paul Butterfield. They loved they loved anybody that honored their music and who was good at it, you know, probably mediocre not so, not so thrilled about. But the, the the question of white people versus black and age versus youth and which sex you were never came up that so, in my world. You know, I I went to do a couple of years ago in Chicago, right before the pandemic, a profile of Buddy Guy, and he was, as you describe, really vocal in expressing his affection for, in particular, you know, uh, Jeff Beck, Eric Clapton, your own good self. And at the same time, there was a sense that in him, although it was more subtly expressed, that he had been hard done by, um, that, that it, was not, it was not easy. And writing about the this, this Staples, um, I remember <laughs> Pop Staples was offered $500 to be the opening act by the Rolling Stones, and, uh, an offer that he turned down. Were things better by the time you you came along just a little bit later in that regard? From what I understand, the the prices of a lot of the legendary groups like Albert Collins or Albert King and even B.B., people that were bigger stars, 
pittance compared to the white artists that did the same kind of music. And one of the things that made me so proud to work with Dick Waterman for 15 years as my booking agent in my office was that he put a lot of the blues artists under one agency and and did collective bargaining as opposed to clubs that would say, why should I pay 800 for uh, Sunhouse when I can get Book of White for 500 So it was just a lot. No, it was the same old thing that is the music business, unfair wages. And, and you know, when we started the Rhythm and Blues Foundation, uh, Howell Beagle brought it to my attention that after all these years, half the people in my record collection had never gotten any royalties. And that, that was blown out of the water. And um, the it, from the time I started, white artists especially with good legal representation. You know, the record label deals that we were making were a lot more fair, and the, everybody before that really got ripped off. And they continued to get not paid for decades. Bonnie, tell me about the club life that was such a big part of your career early on. Oh, well, you know, there's a romance to the club life, just like there was with Hemingway and... John Cheever and everybody thinking that they had to drink. I mean, people drank and smoked cigarettes in the 50s, and the Beats were the coolest. And then after the Beats, it was the folk musicians and Bob Dylan and, you know, the folk world. So people drinking and smoking pot, what just sort of came with the era that we were in. You know, in the 70s, cocaine was more around as well. And it was just part of the scene. I mean, the Stones are super cool, and guess who did drugs? You know, it was like <laughs> modeled. The 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 mo- the people that were our heroes culturally in the uh, '60s. I mean, because they added drugs to the 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 picture, that was our world. You know, mixing drugs and alcohol. Whereas our folks were, my folks didn't drink, but that their world of the the Rat Pack and all of that was more cigarettes and drinking. So. The the jazz and blues scene was way too much drinking, you know, I think. so. What was the breakthrough moment for you when you were 37? Um, you know, after the things you can do when you're... I, I never drank to, like, pass out, you know, after on gigs or anything. I mean, it was more like a recreational when I had time off or when after the shows, you know, to l- unwind a little bit. By the time you're in your mid-30s, you're wearing it. You know, you don't look as good. You don't recover from colds as well. I put on some weight. I had to stop running because my knees were making noises. <laughs> the next thing I knew, I'm going, man, I'm going to be one of these chunky blues women <laughs> that is going to be 60 years old. And people are going to say, man, she's really been through it. And <laughs> But, you know, I wanted to work with Prince, who called me up and said, come to Minnesota, and we were going to do maybe something like a duet on a video. And I looked in the mirror and went, oh, my, this is not going to work. So, it was an inspiration to just lose weight, and I just loved I, – I got the sobriety thing and realized a lot more about my personality quirks and the things that were making my life get in my own way. And so I've been sober about 35 years now, and I suppose I have Prince to thank for it. Bonnie, let's talk about the song Just Like That, which is the Song of the Year Grammy nomination. Um, tell me a little bit about its its background. Where does it come from? Well, I was – Watching the evening news, and often at the end of the news, they put a human interest story to try to, you know, soften the blow of what just went down. <laughs> and uh, they they followed, a, they were doing a story, uh, they took a film crew to follow a woman going to the home of the man who had received her son's heart, and they were going to meet for the first time. So I was already emotionally primed at that point. 
and they hugged, and he invited her in, and they followed her in with the camera, and then he asked her to sit down next to him and asked her if she'd like to put her head on his chest and listen to his heart. And I just, I, I'm teared up now because it was so incredibly moving to me. And it stayed with me and stayed with me for, you know, a couple of weeks. And I decided that I really wanted to write a song from that point of view. I, so that's where the germ, the germ started of that because the, I just made up a story I'm a big short story fan, and I was trying to figure out how I could put in some elements of what this, what a woman who was felt responsible by looking away for a second while she was driving and was in an accident and her son was killed. And um, you know, I just made up a backstory and, and that she was living in, in just in darkness and drinking and probably suicidal, thinking she was responsible and had no idea that this man was looking for her for 20 years or so and knocked on her door and she let him in. And that turned out he had her son's heart. I just was playing on my couch one day and I started, opened up the lyrics and the song just fit. I just, it, it came out in one big rush. I watched him circle around the block finally stopped at mine Took a while before he knocked Like all he had was time Excuse me ma'am, maybe you can help The directions weren't so clear I'm looking for Olivia Zan They said I might find her here Bonnie Wright, I couldn't be more grateful to you for, for your music and for your being here with us today. Thank you so much. David, I'm such a fan. Thank you for including me in your pantheon of interviews. <laughs> Bonnie, thank you. Be well. Thank you so much. You too, David. Bonnie Wright's latest album is entitled Just Like That. She's up for four Grammy Awards this year, including Song of the Year, and Best Americana Album. The ceremony is February 5th. I'm David Remnick. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with the New Yorker Radio Hour next week, and we hope you'll join us. Just like that your life can change if I hadn't looked away. The New Yorker Radio Hour is a co-production of WNYC Studios and The New Yorker. Our theme music was composed and performed by Meryl Garbus of Tune Yards. This episode was produced by Max Balton, Frida Green, Adam Howard, Kalalia, David Krasnow, Jeffrey Masters, Louis Mitchell, and Ngofen Mputabuele, with guidance from Emily Botin and assistance from Harrison Keithline, Mike Kutchman, and Meher Bhatia. The New Yorker Radio Hour is supported in part by the Charina Endowment Fund.
there's a lot going on right now. Mounting economic inequality, threats to democracy, environmental disaster, the sour stench of chaos in the air. I'm Brooke Gladstone, host of WNYC's On the Media. Want to understand the reasons and the meanings of the narratives that led us here? And maybe how to head them off at the pass? That's On the Media's specialty. Take a listen wherever you get your podcasts.